Good morning to those of you who have tuned in to watch us online as well. Would you take your Bibles today and go ahead and open to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. As you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and make a few announcements that I would normally make uh, at the end of the service, but I want to make them now because of the way we're going to end the service. So let me go ahead and share with you just a reminder that uh, I hope you've received your deacon ballot and as you're leaving today, wherever door you're leaving from, just fold that up, drop that in the offering plate as you're leaving the services today. Also, I want to invite you to be back tonight because we're going deeper in Joshua on Sunday nights, and tonight will be our final time to do that, and we'll be looking at an important passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 7. Another reason I invite you to be back tonight is because we'll be in business session for a brief business conference uh, to present to you Rob Merritt as our interim Minister of, 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 of Missions, uh, our interim Minister of Missions. Rob will actually be sharing his testimony with you tonight, telling you why he believes God is calling him to this position uh, to help us in that interim basis. And it's going to be a great service tonight as we hear from Rob, as we hear from our search team, and also as we look at God's Word in Joshua chapter 7. So, hope you'll be back tonight. Now, today we turn our attention to Joshua chapter 21. Let me explain why we're going to be looking all the way at Joshua 21. On most of your TV remote controls that you probably have in your hand on a regular basis, there's a button there on the remote control with two arrows. That feature, of course, allows you to fast forward through the, mo through the movie or the show at a faster speed than you would normally uh, would watch it. In other words, you can advance to another place in the movie, but you know that you're skipping part of the story. Today we're going to push the fast forward button, if you will, and advance to another place in the story of Joshua. But I do have to acknowledge to you that we're skipping part of the story. The last time we were together, last week, we were looking at Joshua chapter 6. And today we're going to fast forward all the way to Joshua chapter 21. But let me explain to you what happens in those 14 chapters that we're skipping. First of all, in chapters 7 through 12, those chapters record all of the battles to conquer the land of Canaan. Uh, there were three different stages in this conquering the land of Canaan. There was the central campaign where they went into Jericho, and then they went to Ai, and then they went to Gibeon, and all of those, those towns and villages in the central part of Israel, they conquered that first. Then there was a southern campaign where they went south, and they conquered all of those towns and villages. And then after the southern campaign, they went north and conquered all of that. That's in chapters 7 through 12. In chapters 13 through 21... That records the distribution of the land that they had conquered. Uh, they're distributing the land that God has given them. Each of the twelve tribes received a portion of the land of Israel. It's much like in your day and time where in your, in your family perhaps there's a grandfather who's had a lot of family land and it's been in the family for a long time. And then maybe after the passing of the grandfather, the children each get a portion of the family land. And that's essentially what's happening in chapters 13 through 21. Each of the 12 tribes were given a portion, if you will, of the family land. And then that's chapter 7 through 21, but chapter 21 ends with an important passage of Scripture. It ends with these words, chapter 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land He had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it, and settled there. 
The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed over, I'm sorry, the Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of the Lord's good promises to all the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. These verses really serve as a summary of the entire book of Joshua. The theme that dominates the entire book of Joshua is the faithfulness of God to all of His promises. You'll likely remember, we've talked about this already, that, that all of this was, was based on a promise that God made to Abraham centuries before this in Genesis chapter 15. And God promised that to Abraham and to his descendants that God would give this land. A summary of that promise is found in Genesis 17 verse 8. And we're going to put this on the screen. It says, the whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. You need to know that God was saying this to Abraham, and he said this to Abraham. He made this promise about 400 years before the book of Joshua. This is a a promise that the people of God have been waiting on for over 400 years. And there's two different promises that are emphasized in this text that we've just read. In verse 43, the Lord gave them the land He had promised. Look at the text again. So the Lord gave Israel all the land He had sworn to give to their forefathers. Now notice that there's two things there in that, in that passage, in that verse, that God's, made a, God's done something, He's given them something, and He did it in response to a promise that He made. Look up here, let's see it again. God has done something, but He did it in response to a promise that He made. Verse 43, the Lord gave all the land. God's done something. He had sworn to give their forefathers. Verse 44, the Lord gave them rest. Not just gave them the land, but He gave them rest or He gave them victory. The Lord has done something. He gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their forefathers. He gave them freedom. Uh, from fear of war, just like he promised he would. And then there's that summary statement I want us to focus on in verse 45. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Would you notice that God's faithfulness is emphasized in that verse in two different phrases? I've underlined them in my Bible in red, and I've highlighted them in yellow. That's how important verse 45 is. The two phrases I want you to see in verse 45 are the phrases, not one and every one. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. In other words, God was faithful to the promise that He made to Abraham 400 years ago. And He was faithful to the promise that He reaffirmed to Abraham's son, Isaac. And then he was faithful to the promise that he reaffirmed to his son Jacob. And then he was faithful to the promise that he made to Moses as he was leading the people of God out of Egypt. And then he was faithful to Joshua as he was taking over for Moses as he was about to prepare God's people to go into the promised land. God was faithful to all of the promises that he had made. Not one of the promises of God failed. Now, Here's one example, one of many examples that show that God is not like us. Have you ever made a promise you didn't keep? Come on, you can be honest, God's watching. 
Have you ever made a promise you didn't keep? Of course you have. We all have. I doubt there's anyone here who can say that every promise you've ever made, you fulfilled. I don't know there's anybody that could say that. That every promise you've ever made, you fulfilled. Let's talk about the promises that we make for a minute. Sometimes we make promises that we have no intention of keeping, right? Well, not you, but the people next to you maybe, you know? Sometimes people just make a promise, and they know deep down they've got no intention of keeping that promise. Wednesday night, we were talking about cars, and somebody told me a story, and he's given me permission to share it. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but Wednesday night, we're talking about cars, and, and he came up after to say, you know, when I was in high school, I really wanted a Corvette. That I, w- I just determined I, was, I wanted a Corvette. He said, in fact, I developed a plan in my mind, and he said, I, I was so determined to get that Corvette, I decided I was going to drop out of high school, I was going to get a job, I was going to save up my money, and I was going to buy a Corvette. He said, that was my plan. And you can imagine how that went over with his parents. Not a very good idea in their minds, right? But he was determined, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop out of high school. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to save my money. And I'm going to buy a Corvette. So finally, his dad said to him these words. He said, son, if you'll just finish high school, I promise you I'll help you get that Corvette. That sounded like a deal. That's what he did. A year or two later, he finished high school, and he went to his dad. He said, Dad, I finished high school. Now you can help me get that Corvette. And his dad said, and I quote, Son, you need to realize that when I told you I would get that Corvette, I was lying. <laughs> sometimes we do that, right? Well, not you, but sometimes people do that. They, they say something, they make a promise that they have no intention of keeping. Sometimes people make promises and forget them. Classic example would be when you promised your son or daughter you'd be at the ball game or you'd be at the dance recital and man, you just got tied up at work, you were in a meeting and you just forgot all about what you promised that you would do. Sometimes people make promises with good intentions but they're unable to fulfill the promise. I mean, politicians do this all the time. Can I get a, can I get a witness? Politicians do this all the time. They're always promising more they can deliver. You see, my point is simply this. Listen, none of us, like none of us, can honestly say we've always kept every promise that we've made, but God can. God has always kept every promise He's ever made. Numbers 23, verse 19 is a great verse. Here's what it says. God is not a man. In other words, God's not like you and God's not like me. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Of course, the answer is no. God is not like us. God keeps every promise he ever makes. Because every, listen to this, everything that God says is grounded in everything that God is. Everything that God promises is grounded in everything that God is. God is faithful and God is true. And everything that He says is grounded in who He is. Remember this, God can never cease to be who He is or what He is. That's why Hebrews 6.18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. 
Because God can never cease to be who He is. Or what He is. God is truth. And God is faithful. And He can never cease to be those things. That's why it is impossible for God to lie. I think A.W. Tozer said it best when he said, He is perfectly faithful because He is never partly anything. That's a powerful statement. God's never partly faithful. Never partly powerful. He's never partly truthful. God is always everything that he is. So Joshua challenged the people of God to think back over their lives. And then to take it even further back from that, he wanted them to go back and think about their ancestors. And he wanted them to, just, to try to figure out, has God ever broken a promise? And of course the answer is no. Verse 45 says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one has been fulfilled. God is faithful and true to everything He says and everything that He does. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and hold it up in the air. And I know some of you have it on your phone or your iPad or whatever, but but would you hold your Bibles up just a little bit? Here's what I want you to say. I want you to elevate it just a little bit for a moment. Those watching it at home, pick up your Bible off your lap and just elevate it for just a moment. I want to make this application. This Bible that's in your hand, It's the historical record of the reliability, the absolute reliability of God's promises. There are no broken promises in the Word of God. This Bible is the historical reliability of God's promises to His people. You you can put your Bible down. Here's how the Bible says it. Psalm 119, 140 says, Your promises have been thoroughly tested. And your servant loves them. This is the record, the historical record of the absolute reliability of God's promises. And God's promises, the psalmist says, have been thoroughly tested. And God has proven faithful and trustworthy every time. Or Psalm 145 verse 13 says this, The Lord is faithful to all His promises and loving towards all He has made. Notice we've highlighted there, the Lord is faithful to all His promises. One pastor said, sometimes we get mad at God for breaking promises He never made. God, I thought you would. God, I expected that you would. God, I wanted you to. But God never promised that. And sometimes we do indeed get mad at God for breaking promises He never made. Psalm 145.13 says, the Lord is faithful to all of His promises. There are no broken promises in the Bible. So when Joshua comes near the end of his life, the one thing he wants to leave them with is the idea, the understanding of God's faithfulness to his people and to his promises. So let me go over to chapter 23. Turn over. Chapter 23, the the heading in chapter 23 is, at least in my Bible, Joshua's farewell to the leaders. When we get to chapter 24, that's not today, but in the last message of the series, chapter 24, it's Joshua's farewell to the people. But before he says farewell to the people in in chapter 24, Joshua gathers all the leaders of Israel to say farewell to them and give them a final charge. And the one thing that he wanted to make sure he said to them, the one thing that he wanted them to understand in his final days before he dies, 
He wanted them to be absolutely certain that God has been and always will be faithful to His promises. Let's read the text. Chapter 23. Now keep in mind, Joshua is in his last days before he dies. And it says in chapter 23, verse 1, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out your way, out of your way. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of their land and the Lord, as the Lord your God, has promised you. Skip down to verse 9. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you. Watch this. Just as He promised. Verse 14. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. You know with all your heart and soul, not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. That's a powerful message as your final message to the people and to the leaders. But one of the things that made that message even more powerful was where they were standing. Let me show you something. They were literally standing on the promises of God. What I mean by that, their feet were literally standing on the ground that God had promised to Abraham 400 years before. This was the miracle they'd been hoping for all of their lives. This was the miracle they'd been waiting for all of their lives. And as they stood there on this ground, promised to Abraham 400 years before, Joshua speaks to them about the faithfulness of God to keep His promise. And they're standing on the promises of God. As they stand there looking at one another and listening to Joshua and looking at the ground that they're standing on, there was no denying that God had been faithful to His promise and God had been faithful to His people. And the big question was this, would they in turn be faithful to Him? And that's a big question for all of us. It's a huge question. For all of us. What should our response be. To God. Who has always been faithful. To us. Well Joshua mentioned three things. To God's people that day. In his final address to the leaders. He mentioned three things. Three ways they could demonstrate their faithfulness to God. As God has been faithful to them. And what he said to them. Were uh, were tremendously applicable to their lives that day and they are just as applicable to our lives today. So I'm going to give you those three things in the Word of God. First of all, Joshua says, obey God's Word without reservation. 
says it in verse 6. Because of God's faithfulness, because God has always been faithful to you and every promise He's ever made, He has fulfilled. Because of that, here's the way you should live your life. Verse 6, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. If that sounds familiar to you, we don't have the time to look at it, but in chapter 1, verse 7, that is exactly what God said to Joshua when Joshua was taking over for Moses. And God said to, Moses, uh, uh, God said to Joshua, here's the way that you can, can live out your life. Here's the guiding principle to help you as you lead my people. Just make sure that you obey my word without reservation. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Joshua, you make sure you follow and obey my word and you'll be successful. And now as an old man about to die, guess what he wants to pass on to the leaders? That same life principle. And could I pass it on to you today? If you want your life to count, if you want to demonstrate your faithfulness to the God who has been faithful to you, if you want your life to be in position so that God can use you and bless you, be careful to obey God's Word. Turning not to the right or to the left, but trying as best you can every day, each day, to live out what God says in His Word. Ladies and gentlemen, we worship and serve a covenant-making, promise-keeping God, and He is worthy of our obedience. That's the first thing. Then Joshua said, number two, as you try to respond to this faithful God, the best response you can do is this, depend on God alone. Verses 7 and 8. He says, do not, turn, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Now before we read any more, let me call something to your attention. I want you to, as we read, I want you to notice the progression. You might call it the downward progression in these verses. Three prohibitions, three warnings are found in verse 7. Here's what he says. First of all, number one, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Here's the first thing you need to avoid. Don't associate with the nations among you. Look up here for a moment. Because if you associate with those nations, it might make you susceptible to the next thing. What's the next thing? Right here it is. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You see... If you associate with the nations, those pagan nations around you, then you might be enticed to name the names of their gods and sometimes to even swear by them because as you watch your neighbors proclaim their faith in their little g-gods and their crops are, are good and their livestock are healthy, if you're not careful, you can be drawn towards that and you might begin to say the names of their gods and swear by their gods. So there's this downward progression. Then he says, you must not serve them or bow down to them because if you're not careful, you will find yourself taking another step towards them and you might even find yourself bowing down, swearing to them because you are including those little g-gods in your life. Can I say to you, the more comfortable we get with one step towards sin, the more comfortable we get with the next step sin. So Joshua is trying to say, set the boundary back here. Set the boundary here. Don't associate with, with the gods and the people around you. Don't, don't set the boundary here because if you take that first step away from God, 
you, you'll more easily take the next step towards sin. And more easily take the next step towards sin. So the best way to avoid that is to set the boundary back here. Do not associate with these people who worship pagan gods. The closer we get to sin, the further we get from God. So if we stay far away from the beginnings of sin, we're less likely to be attracted to it. And then he says, here's the positive side. He says, but you are to, verse 8, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Uh, That Hebrew phrase, hold fast, it literally means in the Hebrew to cling to something or someone. You are to cling to the Lord your God. The world's greatest grandson had to go to the doctor this week. And when Sawyer was there with his mom, the doctor had a hard time trying to examine, to examine him because Sawyer, whenever the doctor wanted to do anything, Sawyer was clinging to my daughter. And the, do- the doctor simply had, well, does he do this or does he do this? Or does-? He had to just ask Lauren because Sawyer was clinging to his mama. And that's the word picture. When it says, hold fast to the Lord your God. To cling tightly and passionately to God. And when you cling tightly and passionately to God, you will not have to worry about being drawn away to other little g-gods. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a world of corruption and chaos. Would you agree with that? In fact, Lord willing, this fall, I'm hoping to preach a series of messages Uh, on the chaos of our culture. But if there's ever a time that we need to follow this principle in verse 8 and cling to the Lord our God, we are living in that time. God has always been faithful to us. God has never broken a promise. And one of the ways we respond to God in this time is to set the boundaries and try to stay away from sin and also on the positive side, just to cling to God every day. And then he says the third thing you can do to respond to God's love and God's faithfulness is to intentionally live like you love God. Verse 11, he says it so clearly. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. In simplest terms, that verse is calling us to give God first place in our lives. In every way, in everything, give God first place in our lives. Because God's been faithful to you, here's the way you can be faithful to Him. In every way and in every day, give God first place in your life. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. And I'll be honest with you and tell you that for years... uh, some years back, but for a period of years, it bothered me when I read these verses about loving the Lord God, and I always didn't feel that emotionally. I don't know if that's ever bothered you, that it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's like, well, I want to do that, but I just don't feel emotionally like I'm doing that the way that I should. It used to bother me that the emotions didn't match what I would read in Scripture. And then I understood as I did a little further study that The idea of loving God. It's this idea of, it's a function of our will. It's an intentional decision we make more than it is an emotion. Emotions change. Emotions come and emotions go. Sometimes you might feel the emotion of your love for God. But the kind of love that is called for in verse 11 is not a love of emotion. 
The kind of love that is called for in verse 11 is a function of your will. It is an intentional decision to put God first every day and in every way in every part of your life. That's what it means to love God. It means declaring, I choose God over everything else. And if you choose God over everything else, you'll be devoted to Him over everything else. That's what it means to love God. It means to put Him first in everything of your life. It is an intentional decision, not an emotional decision. In verse 14, Joshua tells us why we should all make that choice. In verse 14, he says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Here's the bottom line. God's faithfulness to us should prompt us to be faithful to Him. Russell Carter was a man of many talents and interests. And when I say he was a man of many talents and interests, I mean he was a man of many talents, many different interests. As a young man, he was a star athlete in the military academy, and he was an excellent student as well academically. Eventually, Russell Carter became a successful teacher and a successful coach. Later, he became an ordained Methodist minister. And later, he became a medical doctor. He went to medical school and became a doctor. He was also a musician and a songwriter. How he found time to do all of that, I don't know. But those, he was a man of many talents and interests. In 1879, however, at the age of 30, Russell Carter developed a life-threatening heart condition. He went to all of his doctor buddies and all the specialists he could find and No one could help him. No one could do anything to fix his situation. Though he was only 30 years old, his life was hanging in the balance and there was no way anyone could help him. Carter turned to God for help and for healing. And although he had been a professed Christian most of his life, it wasn't until this health crisis that he really began to understand the reality of God's faithfulness and the promises in God's Word. One day, he knelt and made a promise back to God. It was a promise that changed his life. He changed, or he knelt before God and he promised that whether he was healed or not, his life would finally, forever, and fully be consecrated to to God. And it was at that moment that the Word of God began to come alive to him. It was at that moment he began to see the promises of God. It was at that moment he began to understand the faithfulness of God. So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he continued to live his life finally, forever, fully surrendered to God. And over the course of those several years, his strength slowly began to return. And eventually, eventually he was completely healed to the fact that after this time, he lived another 49 years. 49 healthy years. In 1886, before he was fully healed, Carter wrote a hymn that was more than words and music. 
It was a song that was an integral part of his life. It was a song that described how he lived his life. And of course, the name of the song is Standing on the Promises. A couple of stanzas in that song are important for you and I today. It says, Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I will prevail. Standing on the promises of God. He was not yet healed. He still had that heart condition when he wrote those words. He said, but I'm standing on the promises of God. Then he wrote another stanza. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. The day he decided that he would finally, forever, fully consecrate his life to the Lord was the day he began standing on the promises of God. And I just feel in my spirit some of you need to do that. Some of you need to make that decision. God, whether you heal me or not, today I am finally and forever and fully giving my life to you. I am standing on the promises of God. God, whether you fix my marriage or not, I am finally, forever, fully standing on the promises of God. God, whether you meet this other need in my life or not, I am finally, forever, and fully surrendering to you as my Lord and Savior. I am standing today on the promises of God. And from this day forward, that's how I'm going to live my life. Standing on the promises of God. Joshua In the last days of his life, he said to the leaders of Israel, that is the way to live your life. Your God has been faithful to you. And it should prompt you to be faithful to Him. I want you to bow your heads with me. Today as we end this service, it's going to be an opportunity for you to respond right where you are. Praise team is going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to sing Standing on the Promises. If you're watching online, I would ask you just to, when we stand, for you to stand there in your living room or wherever you're watching, on your back porch or wherever it may be. And just sing it. Sing it as a testimony. Sing it as your statement of faith. Sing it as your act of surrender that you are finally, forever, fully consecrating your life to the Lord your God. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, we commit ourselves afresh and anew to you today. Thank you for your faithfulness to us over the years. Not one time have you ever broken a promise. May we in turn live our lives as best we can being faithful to you. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.